Uh, we are so glad you're here. We are studying through the book of James together. This is our third week, so if you grab your Bibles, turn to the book of James today. We're still in chapter 1. It takes a while to get through chapter 1 because it is really powerful, but this is our third week. First week, we answered the question, who is James? And we talked about that as he starts out. We just chose one scripture for that first week, and that being that he is the servant of Jesus and the Lord. And we, we went through that process of who he is. He is the half-brother of Jesus. And we know that James, through Jesus' earthly ministry, did not embrace Jesus as being the Son of God because, you know, hey, here's the deal. When your brother comes to you and says, I'm deity, what do you do? Yeah, get out of my face because that's just, you know, it's just not going to happen. But yet later on, we know that he does following that of the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we also understand that James dies a martyr's death because he refused to recant that of who Christ is. And so it's so very powerful. Last week, Chris was here with us, and he, he did an amazing job as talking about trials and temptations, that contrast between those two things in our life and how God uses trials to grow us into the person to, that he wants us to become. We've said this all along about the book of James, that the book of James is about progress and not perfection. And I think you need to really understand that, that God is moving us toward the person that he wants us to be. But the beautiful, beautiful thing about God is that he sees us already through the perfection of his son, Jesus. So that means that today, you know, I'm not here just trying to be perfect or you're not trying to check off all the boxes because how God sees us already through his son. We know that. But yet this is about progress and about spiritual growth in all of our lives. And today is part three. We're talking about hearers and doers. And so I remember way back when, and uh, it, it's been a while, when I was in college, and I went to a Christian college, and I remember a class that I took called Old Testament Survey. And I do remember the professor, I remember his name, his name was Dr. Odom. And I remember that very first day of class that Dr. Odom got up with all the love of Jesus and all the mercy of God himself, and he proclaimed something to the class. He said, first of all, that I am going to fail 70% of you this semester. He told us that, you know, and I thought, if that's mercy, I don't want any mercy. Don't give me any of that mercy, you know, kind of deal. So he said, I will fail 70% of you. That's the kind of professor he was, you know, so to speak, Uh, and, and I thought that was kind of interesting. But he also instilled with us through that class, and I remember this to that day, that when we read Scripture, and especially the New Testament, that when you read that, you look and listen for the echoes of the teachings of Christ. You look for those echoes of the teachings of Jesus throughout all Scripture that we read, and especially in texts that don't explicitly simply mention Jesus. But you look for those echoes of his teachings and, and, and his words when you read books like the book of Colossians, so to speak. And we talked and we've talked through that in the past that even though you're not going around through the book of Colossians looking for the name of Jesus, you look how it echoes that of the teachings of Christ from the New Testament. The point is this, and I remember this point so well, that the fountainhead of all scripture is the gospels. The fountainhead of all scriptures truly is the gospel, and that is of the life and death, the teachings, the resurrection of Christ. The Old Testament points us there. The New Testament comes out of there. And so when you go to the book of James and you begin to read the book of James, what we discover is this, that we only find Jesus mentioned twice in all, excuse me, five chapters. We only find Jesus mentioned twice. He's mentioned once in that of 
chapter 1, and then we find him again mentioned in chapter 2. So we don't explicitly hear, find Jesus referred to throughout that. But what we do find what we do find is the teachings of Jesus echoed throughout the writings of James. But since he's not explicitly mentioned, that when you read the book of James and how practical it is, sometimes you sort of have this, you know, you read it in this moralistic and therapeutic way of like, James is about a, just, just five chapters of a counseling session for me that somehow it's going to just adjust my behavior and that's about all it does. It talks about wisdom and if you just look at that outside of the teachings of Christ, then, then we see wisdom as just being earthly wisdom outside of the voice and the teachings of Christ. And here's what is amazing when I go through the book of James and I realize that I only find Jesus mentioned twice, but what I do find is, I do find echoes of that of his teachings so powerfully as the Holy Spirit speaks through James to write these words to you and I. And what we realize about James is this, James is somewhat of a five-chapter commentary upon Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. If you lay them very close together, what you're going to find is that James hears those words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and through the moving of the Holy Spirit in James's life, he begins to write a commentary. He fleshes that thing out for you and I so we can apply it to our lives and how we live and how we, how we treat one another as we go through this life and, and how that applies. So starting all of this, before we get to James, I want to read from Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. And you're going to see how the two correlate when I read this. Listen to these words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Already, if you've read ahead through the book of James, which he asks you to do, then you see the correlation already. He goes on to say, And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine, again we see the correlation in the book of James, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. And, and James is writing, what we realize is, is James is writing to a church, we talked about this two weeks ago, who is in dispersion. What has happened is that Stephen has been stoned as a martyr in Jerusalem, and so all of a sudden, all of Jerusalem outside of Christianity begins to persecute the church, and so they begin to scatter all over the known world. They begin to plant churches and spread the gospel everywhere they go outside of Jerusalem. And, and so we see the spreading of the gospel in the known world. And this is a, this is, these are really a great group of people, but don't over-romanticize them because they have hang-ups. They are as jacked up as you and I are. Yes, they are. Now, I don't know how jacked up you are this morning, but I can tell you, I know that you're breathing and you're human and you're covered in skin, so you got parts of your life that are messed up. Amen? We all have issues. Isn't that right? Can I have an amen? Thank you. Pretty good. That's good. And those that didn't say amen, then your issue is pride because you think you don't have any issues, right? And, but you have a big issue within the pride of your own life and your own heart. So we all have issues. And so when we look at these people and we understand through historically about who James is writing to, we think, wow, these are amazing people that they're scattering all over the known world and they're spreading the gospel and planting churches and making Jesus known everywhere. But when you begin to read 
through chapter 1, you realize, man, these people have some real issues that have to be addressed, and that is exactly what they're doing, because they're on the dirt path of sanctification, just like you and I. They have not arrived yet, and that's what makes this book so relevant, and that's why I believe that the Lord directed us to teach this through the fall together. And in this dispersion, there are temptations and there are trials in their life, circumstances, oppression, there's suffering in their life. And what it's doing, what this do, is doing, it's threatening them in, in their hearing of the Word of God and acting on what they're hearing. So what we find is, we find people who are hearing the Word of God, but they're not acting on it. They begin to do their own thing, much like we do. We come to church every week, we hear the Word of God, we go out and we kind of do our own thing. That's what makes it so relevant for us. They had trials coming from the outside of them. They have these worldly desires and temptations coming from the inside of their own heart. And so James begins to talk about them. He talks about anger. We're going to talk about anger today for a little while. Now, if that makes you angry, you're in the right place, isn't it? That's right. You say, Mark, it ticks me off when you talk about anger. It really does. You just don't know how much that lights my fuse. Well, you're in the right place, and we're glad that you are here and, and so we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about ungodly speech for a moment. We're going to talk about partiality, covetousness. That's all the things that James says are woven into this community of believers. And what he is doing, he is addressing this because he is concerned. He is concerned about, well, is their faith actually genuine faith in the gospel? That's exactly what he's concerned about. Is there faith, genuine faith in the gospel? Because when we have genuine faith in the gospel, it transforms our lives and it affects the behavior of our life. It really does. And so he addresses these things being directed by the Holy Spirit. And what we find as we begin to read in a moment, that these verses echo the teachings of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount from the book of Matthew. And he's going to take some of these behavioral struggles that these people have, some of these circumstantial realities within their life. And then you know what he's going to do? He's going to, go, he's going to blow right past all of those things. And he's going to go right to the heart of the matter. He's going to go right to our own hearts where we really struggle. And so do you actually have faith in the gospel of Christ or not? That is exactly what he is He's addressing. So here's a couple of thoughts. I said every week we would give you questions, and then as you study or you meditate on this throughout the week, you can, you can go through the Scripture, go to J- James, and you can simply ask these questions and answer them in James. The first is this, are you deceived? Are you deceived? Let me frame that for you before you kind of get your mind in some gear. James chapter 1, verse 16, do not be deceived. Now, it's James that's bringing this subject up, not me my beloved brothers and sisters. But what are they deceived about? And if you go back and look, and if you remember what Chris taught last week, that they're in the midst of trials, in the midst of temptations. And what they're deceived about in the middle of this is how they see God, is exactly what they see. Because evidently they think that God is sending these temptations in their life. Yes, God does subject us to trials at times in order to mold us into the person He desires us to be. But God does not tempt us to sin. And that is very important because if you believe that, then that is a direct affront to the character and the nature of God because he explains that to us. Look at verse 17 because he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
And what he's saying is, hey, God does not tempt you to sin because we have this good father who is simply about all, excuse me, all of the things that are good for us within our lives. And he is for us and he is not against us. So you got to frame God right. In fact, C.S. Lewis says that how you see God is everything. It is absolutely everything within our life, how you frame and how you see God. So he goes on in verse 18, of his own will, this is our father. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that is the gospel, that we should be, and this is the part that I underline, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, let me take a drink for a moment. What does that mean? That we are first fruits of his creatures. Because that part has to be understood if you're going to frame everything else that you read in the book of James. That part has to be understood right up front. Because here's what James is saying to us. That our father, our good father, without compulsion, but of, own, of his own love, volition, of his own grace and mercy with our lives... He brought us from death to life. We're born again, but th- that we were, <clears throat> we were at one time bad seed. Absolutely. Yet he brought us as his first fruits of the harvest of salvation. That's an amazing and an absolutely beautiful picture that you and I have to grasp this morning. That we're first fruits, that we are first fruits. And what he's saying is this, that our identity as a church and our identity as individuals in the collective body is we're the first fruits of God's creatures. So what does that mean is what, is what is he saying? Here is, let me explain it to you. Here's what he's saying to us. Because you have to really grasp this. That God decided to redeem and reconcile the world. That is the story of the world, reconciling the world to himself through his son, Jesus. That is the story of the world that you and I live in. And God is moving things towards salvation. That there is coming a day, and we talk about this a lot, that there is a coming a day when God will return and he will make all things right. He will make all injustices just. He will do everything. He will remove all, all fear. He will take away all pain. There'll be no tears. That there is a day that Jesus will return and he will make all things right. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're headed as this world. That's exactly where we're headed. And James is saying, you and I as a church, we have been chosen by his own good pleasure through his wisdom that we are the first fruits of that. We are the first fruits of that direction that God is taking the world. As imperfect, as inconsistent as you and I are, that we're a snapshot of where God is taking the rest of the world. And that is the beauty of what God is doing within our life. That's our identity, that you and I as believers are the down payment of what God is going to do when he comes and makes everything right. That redemptive process will culminate in returning of Christ, but it's began in you and I that we are the first fruits. And James saying, hey, it's important how you see yourself because this is how you're going to persevere through trials. This is how you're going to make it through the temptations that the enemy brings in your life. This is how you're going to handle your day when things really go bad. This is how you're going to simply keep the faith when, you, when, when things are not going your way and it seems like that God is a million miles away from you to realize, to understand that you're the down payment through Christ of what is going to take place in the future when he makes everything right. 
That is the mindset, not just a mindset, but that is a hard experience that you and I have to have. We have to embrace that. Why is that important? And I wrote this, and it's in your bulletin, this in the notes this morning, that James wants our vision. James wants our vision of our identity and destiny to transform our character in our present circumstances. And wh- why does he say that? Because he knows this, that it's not rules that transform people. It's not. It's not rules that transform people, but it's the beauty of what Christ is doing and what we're going to become that transforms us. It is. It, it's like this. If you, if you have a child and you say that you want, and I'm, I'm not going to play this morning, trust me, because I have none of, none of those gifts, but <clears throat> that's Hannah and everybody else. But if you have a child and you say, I want my child to learn to play the piano... Now, first of all, you need to make sure that your child wants to learn to play the piano, right? Yes. No, I want them to play the piano. Oh, that's going to be really fun for them, isn't it? Yes. And so you want your child to learn to play the piano? So, so how does that start? How do you instill a love for the instrument for them to persevere through the practice? Oh, I know how. You, put, you get one of those books it starts with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and it goes beyond that. And you know if you ever had piano lessons, and it talks about where you put your hands, and you go through all the rules and all the details and all the regulations, and that's going to instill with them a passion to go to practice piano every day of their life when all their other friends are doing something else. And you say, absolutely not, Mark. You're wrong. Here's what you do. Yes, you take them to a concert. You let them hear a master. You let them to sit and hear the tunes that come when he puts his hand to those keys and the beautiful music that he plays and the musical picture that he, or the portrait that he paints with his music. And that instills a passion. Why? Because they know what can come within their life even when they have to go through those hard times. And that's exactly what James is saying in the book of James to us. That how do I deal with those days when they really go rough in my life? And how do I persevere through all those things? And James is going to talk about that as we work through these chapters together. And that is you understand who you are. Your identity in Christ is this, that you are the first fruits of his creatures. That you are the down payment on what is to come. That he has given you a beautiful vision of what he is doing within your life. And in that, you draw strength to overcome the circumstances of your days. Only God could create that. Only God could put that together. Yes. Well, I have questions that are unanswered. I know we all do. But I know that I am the down payment of the first fruits of his creatures, creatures so that I am the down payment of the redemptive work of Christ. I know what God is doing for me. I know that God is for me and not against me. I know those things and I embrace those things. They move beyond my head to my heart so that I can weather the storm and I can persevere. And that's what creates perseverance in our lives. It is beauty that transforms, not rules within our lives. And if you look back at scripture, what you realize is if you lean upon the rules all the time, then the Bible Bible says we become like whitewashed tombstones. That's what we become like. Because we look good on the outside, but inside we're full of death. So what's motivating you? Yeah. What, what is, because I think this, this applies to every one of us in this room. 
because you've, you've tried the rules. You have yet to get that vision of you being the first fruits of his creatures. So you've gone the rule way. And I'm not saying that you dump all the rules out. And if, at some point, if you take piano lessons, you have to know the details. You eventually have to know the rules. Absolutely, I understand that. But that's not the catalyst that causes you to persevere in your practice. It's not. And some of you come here week after week after week and you've tried the rules and you can't keep them and you're depending on the rules to bring transformation in your life. Rules never bring transformation. It's the beauty of who you are in Christ and what He's done in your life and how He is transforming you. That's the catalyst. That brings perseverance in my life, in your life. Not, not the rules. We are the first fruits. And when your heart is stunned by the beauty of what Christ has done and what he is going to do in your life and in this world, it is transformational. It's transformational. And so James says, this is how you live out your faith every day. So the second question is this. How does our faith work itself out in day-to-day living? Man, I'm glad you asked that. That's a great question. Let's, let's look at James because he answers that. He says in verse 19, you read this in the light of who you are, that you are the first fruits of, the, of his creatures, and that you're the down payment of what God is eventually going to do in his redemptive process. So you read that in the light of of, of that knowledge, verse 19, know this. He said, beware of these things. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I told you we're going to talk about anger for a moment. Yes, slow to anger. Yeah. Because one of the ways, one of the ways that this community is not living out in light of their identity of who they are in Christ, one of their ways as that being of the first fruits of, of God's salvation, they're struggling with their speech. They're struggling with listening and they're struggling with anger. And that anger is coming out in their speech. And James says, this is not pleasing to God. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's not just spoiling their health, but it's also spoiling their witness as first fruits. And, the, and it makes it bad fruit. So let me just make this a safe space for a moment. Okay? I, I didn't ask you to say good morning to the person next to you because Matthew beat me to the punch this morning, okay? Because he's already had you speak to one another. And, you know, and I don't want to be redundant, so that's okay. But here, let me, let's, so let's just take a little survey. Now, here's the thing. This is church. You have to be honest. God is watching, okay? He's always watching, Mark. I know. I know, but I just want to say that, okay? Okay. How many of you are... Here's the question. This is a big one. It's not on the screen, so you have to listen. How many of you are struggling or have struggled with anger in your life? Put your hand up. Wonderful. Now you're ticked off, aren't you? Put your hand down. Some of you didn't raise a hand. You raised a fist. Yes. I'm so angry because you're talking about anger that I just can't wait to get out of here. And, you know, and uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting because I think what that does that kind of makes the, the playing field very level for us this morning. That's the beauty about James. Remember who James is writing to. He's writing to people in dispersion. These are people who have been preaching and teaching Christ and doing that at the very risk of their own lives. And so they're leaving Jerusalem and they're spreading the gospel to the known world. 
This is not a shabby group of folks. These are people who love Jesus, but yet they are jacked up and they have their own issues. And he talks about anger within their issues. And what James is talking about, anger, and has that relates to the Sermon on the Mount, that he's just not... Now, I want to go here, so listen to me very carefully. He's not just addressing outbursts and, and fits. He's not, that's not what he's just addressing. And can I tell you that preschoolers are not the only one that throw fits. Did you know that? Now, don't look at the person next to you, okay? Especially if they did one this morning, you know? Just kind of like, just be stoic and look at me for a moment. And, 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 you know, but yes, they're not. And so he's speaking to us, but he's addressing more than just that outward behavior. So don't stop there. That's why I said it's very easy to read James as being very therapeutic for you and I, because we don't find the name Jesus spoken a lot in there. So it's like a, it's a suggestive counseling session giving us options as to how we can change our life. No, no. He's dealing with something deeper. He really is. He's dealing with the, with the anger settled deep within our soul from whence the behavior of our life comes forth. That's exactly what he's doing. He's dealing with deep-seated fear and lust and pride. Now it gets quiet. Entitlement. Yes, he's dealing with those things that create and energize our outbursts. And this will make sense in a moment. And we become enslaved to that anger in our lives to the point that we deny it. To the point that we justify it. Now I'm really ticking some of you off, right? Yes, and it comes out sometimes, some of you, violently. Some of you, it comes out in a passive-aggressive behavior. Can I tell you something before I go any further and make you any madder and more angry, okay? Here's the thing. God is not angry at you. Do you know that? Mark, it makes me even more angry for you saying that, you know? God is not angry at you. No. How do you know that? Because he has invited you here today to save you from the anger that's deep set within your life that's going to eventually destroy you, to heal you from that, to transform you from that. And where that step begins is this, to, for you to see yourself and who you are in God, and that is that you are the first fruit of His creatures, that you are the down payment of what God is eventually going to do in the culmination of the redemptive work in this world, that you are the first fruits of that, that God is invested in you, that God is for you and not against you, that God loves you and God is not angry with you, and God has brought you here today to set you free. To set you free from that. It's important that you frame James in the right way. And how does he do that? It's the gospel. James makes this very clear in just a moment. It's the gospel that brings liberty to our life. So don't miss what he's saying. He takes these behavioral things he talks about. He talks about that of anger in our hearts and our words. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of blows right past it. Because when I read the book of James, I don't find five steps to living an angry, free life. I don't, I don't find that. Step one, 
eliminate everybody in your life that makes you angry. You know, that's step one, and life is good after that. No, there, there are none of those steps, none of those steps that you find in the book of James because it's not very therapeutic here. It's not. James doesn't give you an idea of how to have a cool-down period when you get angry so you don't have this outburst. You don't find that there at all. But what he does, he blows past these behavioral issues. He goes right straight to the heart of the matter, and right straight to the heart of the matter is our heart. And he goes right straight to that submission of the gospel of Christ is exactly what he deals with. He's saying, hey, receive the gospel afresh within your life. That is the thing that sets you free. Submit to the word of God. That is the only thing that can save you in these issues of your life. It's the only thing that will address the true issues of your heart is that of the liberating gospel of Christ. Mark, are you against counseling? No, I am not because I do that. Absolutely. I counsel with people and trust me, I need counseling a lot myself. I do, yes. And and so... I'm not saying that's not wrong, necessarily wrong within itself. It's not. But can I tell you, it is the gospel of Jesus that sets us free. It's the gospel of Christ. And so what James does, he passes the therapeutic session, which nothing wrong with that at all. And if you're going to one, continue to go. Please continue to do that if it's helping you. But he blows past all of that. He goes right to the heart of the matter. And it is our heart. And he says that you simply need to receive the gospel of Christ afresh within your life. Because this is not about rules. But this is about the beauty of who you are in God. This is about you being the down payment of the redemptive work of Christ. This is about you simply being that of the first fruits of the creatures of God. This is about who you are and how you see God. And understanding that God is for you and he is not against you. And I prayed this week and last night and this morning, sitting up in our office before service, that for some of you this would, this would be liberating, that the Holy Spirit would dis- allow this to marinate your brain and it goes to your heart and it comes out in your behavior to realize that you don't have to live this way, that God has sent the gospel through His Son Jesus to set us free, to set us free. That Jesus has absorbed all the wrath of God toward you and I. That God is not angry with us. Understand that. That he loves us. That he is the good father. He desires for us to know him. We are the first fruits of his salvation. This letter, this letter, understand this this morning, is written to Christians. It's written to the church. It's written to you and I. So it brings me to the third question, almost the last one, but the third question is this. Have you truly received the gospel? Have you truly received the gospel? Well, Mark, I come to church and I hear you for 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, and sometimes you get very loud. So absolutely, I hear you. There is no doubt that I can hear you, you know? So yeah, no, that's not what I'm talking about or what James is talking about. Look at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. These people that James are writing to, they're deceived. They are. They're deceived whether or not they have genuine faith because they think they're in right standing. They think they have built their foundation on a rock. You know, we go back to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus in the book of Matthew. They think they built on the rock, but James is saying, oh, no, but wait, in, in reality, you've built on the sand because you hear it, you hear it, 
Yes, we're not debating that. You hear those things, absolutely. But you're just merely hearing it. That's the issue. That's the struggle. Because one who merely hears the word of God, but their lifestyle is characteristically against what they hear, that person is not truly receiving the gospel. Because the gospel is transformational. I know that this is maybe not, you know, what would I say, uh, the most attractive thing that you can talk about in church on a Sunday morning, is it? At, at what time? At 9.55 in the morning, you've had a couple, a couple of cups of coffee, you're still trying to kind of orient to, to your life, to, oh, this is the morning I should be awake and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm here saying to you that, hey, you come here every morning and you hear this and you hear this and you hear this, but if your life is characteristically different than what you're hearing, that you have not received the gospel in your life. You have to love me, right? Yes. Yeah, you really do. I mean, it's tough. I know. Yeah, Reba would tell you the same thing. Sometimes it's tough loving him. It really is. Yes, but you have to love me. James goes there. He stays there. This is why I love the book of James. It's a mirror that we see ourselves in because there's a moment that you and I are meant to take a break in our life. We're to pause. We're to think about our own lives. And you say, but Mark, this is, you know, you're, you're preaching like this is the Bible. This is the buckle of the Bible belt. We're in the middle of the South right now, you know. This is the cradle of Southern evangelicalism. And, and we're, we're right here in the middle of all of this. And, and nobody here is deceived. There's no deception here. Yes, there is. It's the most dangerous type of deception because you are self-deceived because you don't know that you're deceived. And it's perhaps the most dangerous of all types of, of deception within our lives. And so look what he says in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And, and you know, I did, a little, I did a little research about mirrors and things like that. And, and I thought, well, how often do you look at a mirror in a day? Well, here's some stats I come up with. If you ever, ever, ever ask the, this question, okay? For females, for women... They average about 16 times a day that they look in the mirror at themselves, about 16 times a day, uh, culminating in about a one hour out of every day that you view yourself in the mirror if you are a female. I didn't write that. I Googled it, okay? So don't be angry at me. For men, for men, men view their self in, a, in the mirror more than 23 times a day. Hey, when you're good looking, you want to look at it, right? Isn't that? Yeah. You want to savor that thing. Jeez. God, God just really strained himself when he did this. You know, look at this. Woo. That's amazing. You know? Yeah. No wonder my wife falls at my feet all the time. That is not true. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and he goes on to say verse 24. I don't know why I told you all that. This is kind of funny. You know? For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. You know, I have to give you a little, uh, a little laughter there because this gets serious, you know. And he's, when I begin to think about the book of James and Amir and all those kinds of things, I thought that they probably didn't have the access to the clarity of 
that of a reflection device, a mirror, whatever you want to call it, in that day that you and I would have. And so I think most of the time, probably what they had was a polished piece of metal that they would see their own reflection in. And no matter how you polish a piece of metal, that reflection is still blurred and somewhat distorted. And so it doesn't really make a lasting impact upon your life. And contextually, and in culture, historically, I think that if you frame it that way, you understand what James is saying. That they begin to see themselves, and that reflection was somewhat blurry, and that reflection was somewhat distorted, and so it was not a lasting reflection. It didn't go with them after they, they moved away from that device. And I think it's like you and I sometimes when it comes to church and when it comes to God and when it comes to the, the power of the gospel within our lives that we, we gather together and we hear the word and this is, not a, this is not something just to say, oh, Mark, you're just kind of really making us feel guilty. This is not a drive-by guilting this morning at all. But, that, but we come to church and, and I do the same as everybody else and we receive this moral therapeutic comfort sometimes in our life and, and we walk out the door and we forget we forget. And if you look at this word forget that's used here in the book of James, it means a lot more than just a mental challenge. It goes far beyond that. What this word forget means, it means to discard. That means that you purposely discard it. You purposely make a choice not to enact that thing within your life more than remembering, but yet enacting that thing. And so we come here. Can I tell you, and I say this because I love you as your pastor and as a teacher here at Hope Fellowship, but I want to say this to you, coming in here and just hearing does not please God. For those of you, it's your first Sunday Thank you for coming. I know it's probably your last Sunday, but you know, we're glad that you're here. James says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by this, he says. Just coming and hearing does not please God. But then he goes to verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the word of truth, the gospel, the lordship of Christ over our lives, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit, and loving my neighbor as myself. That is the perfect law, the law of liberty, the thing that sets us free, the gospel that frees us and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, that this is a different kind of hearer who does not forget but he acts on what he hears. He will be blessed in his doing. That's exactly what genuine faith in our life looks like. That is it. It's what pleases God. Well, Mark, I can't be perfect if that's what you're asking me to do. James is not about that of you being perfect. Understand that. Because Jesus is the one that makes us perfect in the sight of his Father God by his by his redemptive work on the cross. So just get that out of your mind. This is about progression. This is about you hearing something from God and then you acting on it in your life. You applying it to your life so that so that your life does not look different characteristically to what you have been hearing week in and week out. Understand this. this is about progression in your life. How are you changing? 
How are you? T- well, you know, God, God's angry with me, and I know that God is really not for... No, we've already, we've already taken that off the table. You are the first fruits of His creatures. Understand that. You're the down payment of what God is eventually going to do in the culmination of His redemptive work in this world. Realize who you are, because that helps you in those moments of struggle and perseverance within your life. So take that off the table. Those other words, understand who you are in God, and realize that who He is. He is the good Father. He does not tempt us to sin because he is for you today. He loves you. He is not here to destroy you, but he is here that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Understand who he is. So here is the thing. You hear all of this. You hear all of this. We eliminate all of those other excuses. Then what are you doing with what you hear? What are we doing? Mark, what am I doing with what I hear? I have to ask myself that. What am I doing with what I hear from the gospel? How am I addressing my anger? How am I addressing those kinds of things? You know, in our staff meeting Friday, uh, we have this staff meeting, our weekend prep meeting we have. We have one on Tuesdays, which is a long. We have a very short one on Fridays. And we say, what is God doing in your life this week? And we go around the room on Fridays. And I say, well, it always deals with the, this, the teaching for Sunday morning because that's where I've been reading and studying. And so God has been speaking to me about anger in my speech. That I need to speak, I need to temper my speech when it comes to my wife, when it comes to Reba, when it comes to my children. I need to temper my speech when it comes to my my dog sometimes, I guess you might say, you know. I need to temper my speech in those kinds of things. I really do. I need to, I need to sometimes turn off the TV and walk away from Fox News because we know that only Christians, they, they only watch Fox News. We know that, right? So that's a joke, okay? I understand that. That's a joke. And, and so, you know, and, and I get all wired up and I'm yelling at the TV and I can't believe what's happening in this world around me that I need to sometimes walk away from that and realize, hey, I've got to subject myself to the gospel. What I realize is this, that I am the first fruits of his creatures. Creatures, understand that. And that I don't want this thing to damper or harm my testimony to the world around me. And so God is invested in me and God is changing me. And so I have to watch even the way I speak. I'm just trying to be real with you this morning. Because James is real. That this is not about perfection, but this is about progress. So the last thing, and I end with this this morning, is how in the world could I walk through this world unstained? You say, Mark, why do you even put that in there? Because I'm about to read this text, and I want you to understand this. Look at what it says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's This person's religion, now understand this, religion in this sense is not a bad word like it is today to us in many many forms. It's not, but it's about genuine faith. But it says that, that, that this person's religion is worthless, it says. Not faith at all. Verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And what this text talks about is how we live out our life every day in our job, at work, at school, however and wherever we find ourselves. And this is never meant to be an exhaustive list. And those people that say, hey, this is how you just define pure religion, and they they begin to use these few things that are here, they take this out of context. This is not an exhaustive list, never was meant to be, but this is talking about how you live your life day to day. It's how you speak to your spouse. It's how you conduct yourself with your coworkers. It's how you 
It's how you love your children. And sometimes those little angels, it's a struggle, right? It's, it's how you deal with your roommate at school. Boy, that's one we could really talk about for a long time, like I said. It's how you live out your life daily. And it bears the fruit of love because he says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And I understand that, but the last part threw me for a loop. It says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's the struggle. That's the struggle. Have you ever maybe shown up on Sunday morning here and you're in the lobby and ah, you're enjoying God's juice coffee, you know, and, and sometimes those lids just don't go on the right way. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. And you're here in your Sunday best, whatever that might be, and Lord knows you just come however you are, just as long as you're wearing clothing. That's all we care. And, and so, and you get ready for that good cup of coffee, and all of a sudden that lid is loose, and it goes right down the front of you. You ever had that happen to you? Say, Mark, you pour water on the floor, now you pour coffee on the table. And you, all of a sudden you panic. What is your first thought? Wipe it off. Some of you say, I'm just going to take my shirt off. Please don't do that, okay? Okay. And so you get a little water and you find a napkin somewhere and you begin to rub it. Most of the time, what happens when you rub that? It just gets worse, right? And eventually you set that stain in and you think, oh man, that's my favorite Hope Fellowship shirt and look at it now, you know? This is a discontinued collector's edition also, so look at it now. And the more you try to clean it, the worse that stain becomes. There is a text in the book of Zechariah chapter 3, and I end with this. Verse 1. It says, then he showed me, and it's talking about God opening his plan to Joshua. And here's what it says. And Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, that he represents the sin of all the people of Israel. And there's an angel of the Lord that's sitting on the bench, and we know that angel of the Lord to be Jesus. And, and then, if you continue to read on that, it says, and then Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. Can I tell you, Satan is keenly aware of every stain in your life. I don't care if it happened last week or it happened 30 years ago. He's keenly aware of that. And it gives him no greater joy than to remind you of that almost on a daily basis. And so you go back with your cloth and you scrub. If I could just get this off. And then the longer you wear it, it becomes your identity. And some of you refer to yourself in, in, the, in the light of those things within your life. 
Because the enemy, with that demonic accusation continually in your ear, you begin to believe those things the devil says about you. That you're a failure. That you're a fornicator. That you're an adulterer. That you're unloved and you're unworthy and you're unchangeable. And you should stop trying and you should realize where you are. And when you look at that list, what you realize, first of all, is that, yes, those things are true. At some point in my life, they are. And so you try to scrub them away and you set the stain in deeper and deeper in your life. And for some of you, it's the reason that you're angry this morning. Because you set that stain in so deep in your life. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand or is not this a log or a stick plucked from the fire? And now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who are standing before him, and I love this part, remove the filthy garments, and you can see the correlation of this and James, and then back also into the teachings of Jesus at the sermon. Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I clothe you with pure vestments. When you read the book of James is a pure therapy session. You try to clean yourself up. You try to live by the rules. But if you read James in light of who you are in Christ, what you realize is this, that you can't wipe away the stain, but through the blood of Christ, your stains are already covered covered so maybe you did some of those things but that is not your identity your identity today is this that you are a first fruit of his creatures isn't that amazing So just tell the devil that. He knows it, but he sure maybe needs you to remind him of that. That you are a first fruit of his creatures. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment this morning? Father, as we sit here before you as your children with stains in our lives, and we've taken the, the cloth of rules And we've rubbed it and we've rubbed it and it just won't go away. And we set it deeper in our life the more we try. That God, today, this moment, by the power of your Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is the illuminator of the gospel in our lives, that Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate in all of our lives that we are the first fruit of God's creatures. 
that we are the down payment of the culmination of the redemptive work of Christ when He returns and He makes all things right. That God is for us and not against us. That through His Son Jesus, God sees us through His that perfection. So this is about progress within our lives this morning. This is about hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel so that our life begins to reflect what we hear. Because that is genuine faith in our lives. So Lord, speak to some of us about anger within our lives. Speak to some of us about entitlement, that we deserve something. Speak to some of us about covetousness, that we look at other people's lives and we think, why do they have it so well when I'm struggling? Speak to us about our speech. Oh God, speak to us about our behavior this morning. And may our behavior reflect what we hear from the gospel today. And may we respond to that. May we respond to that this morning. In your name. Amen. Would you stand with me please for a moment? Boy, today is a lot to think about. And I encourage you to to meditate on this. Take those four questions that we've given you. Go back through the book of James again this week. Ask yourself those questions. Begin to answer them truthfully and honestly about who you are. And in a very messy and inconsistent way, as we all find ourselves in life, that our life reflects the gospel, the transformational gospel that we hear and we read. So this morning, while they're singing for a moment, that I just want you to meditate on that, to pray. If there's repentance that needs to be done in your heart, that you do that now, that you repent to God. If you're struggling with anger or any of those things that we've talked about or other behavioral issues that you know do not reflect the gospel, then, then that you confess those to Christ today. You confess those to Christ. That is the beginning of your journey to freedom. Pray at your seat. Come up front this morning, but spend a few moments in the Lord before we leave this place as we, as we sing together.